0: Welcome back to Awesome People Talking. I am your host, Braden Carlyle, and today we are joined by Zabrecki. First, he is strange, and then he is wonderful. Puzzling, empathetic, engaging, talented, all of these and more. He's also mysterious, hilarious, and always unexpected. Just how unexpected? Well, first he was a musician. Then, after a rigorous trial by fire in the Magic Castle, he's now a three-time Magician of the Year award winner there. There's probably more theater in his wonderfully strange Zabrecki genre of magic than there is in most of Broadway. More surprises, more musicality, and so much character. Please welcome Zabrecki. Thank you, Zabrecki, for coming on the podcast. And just, we start everyone with the question that every magician has heard a thousand times, at least. What is your, how did you get into magic story?
1: Uh... What is my- how, oh boy, uh how did I get into magic this story yeah. um well i I got into magic like everybody does like, by playing in a rock band in the nineties <laughs> uh, uh, but i i I can tell you I was uh playing in a band, which was my childhood passion when I was a kid, and um by the by the mid nineties I was about through being in a band. Uh, The dream had kind of come and went in lots of ways, and um, I didn't know it, but I wanted to, I think, redefine myself in some creative way, and that's when, uh, one afternoon, I was in Baltimore, Maryland, and uh, we had loaded our gear into a nightclub, and I was wandering around doing some sightseeing, and I wandered into a magic shop for the sole purpose uh, of that had had an air conditioner outside. (laughs) So, uh, because of the heat and I, and, and that little, uh, you know, the air conditioner brought me right in and, um, I loitered for 15 minutes staring at things I couldn't have cared less about straight jackets, posters of Houdini, um, you know, close-up cabinets, glass cabinets loaded with, you know, hot rods and, and waves and, mm-hmm. you know, packet tricks and things of that nature. And, um, after feeling guilty for not buying anything, I, I did ask the, the, the gentleman who was working there if he had something that I could uh, maybe purchase and perform at a nightclub for a couple hundred people. And uh, that's when he produced a small silk handkerchief, put it in his fist, vanished it, and bang! <laughs> uh, I was—I I would say—I got—I was—I was bitten pretty fiercely by, you know, the magic bug. Um, mm-hmm. A, because this miracle was performed right before my eyes. I, I'd never seen Close to Magic before, so that was one thing. But the second was that I could buy this thing and, and actually take it with me and maybe, you know, had some conceit that I could perform it later that night, which, you know, I did, um, mm-hmm. with a variation. I think um, by the, by midnight, what, by the time I got on stage, I had this thing in my pocket, this object, a small object, and um, our guitar player broke a string, and so I just said the audience hey, we have wrap a wrapped condom. And we chucked one on stage, I picked it up, opened it up, popped it in my fist very crudely, like he showed me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it vanished. And although it was it was done with, you know, zero art or and, and poorly executed, <laughs> uh, people did go crazy and were were sort of amazed by this this moment of did that guy just put a condom in his hand and now it's gone what the, what's going on here <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we came here to
0: hear
1: you know we, we came here to hear indie rock and this was not that but it's yeah. kind of funny um, so yeah it was just amusement this little moment that, that was you know we all got a kick out of and kind of a throwaway thing but the next night I couldn't wait to get to New York City to say to them hey guys whatever you do the third song tune up or whatever you gotta do you know uh, I'm gonna do that thing again mm-hmm. <laughs> um so for the next 23 hours, I just couldn't wait for that moment, and practiced it a bunch. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, this was really excited about doing that again. So um, I did, and it was a success. And uh, came back to LA, and my my girlfriend, who's now my wife, had a pass to go to this place called the Magic Castle, and we went and had to cobble, I had to cobble together a suit. I just, God knows, I didn't even have a you know, eye and you know, the proper uh-huh. attire to get in. So uh, we went there and had a had a a pretty. What we did, we had a wonderful time and, and walked out of there realizing that, you know, magic was an art form. That, that it was actually not just some gimmicky thing that you would, you know, you could do for a few, you know, drunk people my nightclubs.
0: Mm-hmm. And then how did you go from vanishing a condom on stage to your character was a brekkie, revi- refined and uh, pretty well controlled over the years?
1: Um, it happened over about, uh, I think it was, took me about five minutes to figure it all out. No, just kidding. Uh, (laughs) obsession, (laughs) um, being terrible at it for a really long time, Mm -hmm. uh, being totally obsessed and fascinated by magic as an art form and a subculture and, and a a form of self-expression and waking up thinking about it and, and living every second I could figuring out another trick or another thing that fascinated me about magic. Um, and just really diving deep into the well that is, you know, obviously endless. And um it's just started changing my life over you know, over this over this period of, of months and then years. And I think I can tell you that I, I performing as Rob Zabrecki in nineteen 19- in the late nineties was the furthest thing from my mind. The last thing I wanted to do was was get up there and be some bumbling idiot who couldn't couldn't really perform magic. <laughs> Basically what I was, I would say for the first few years. Mm-hmm. And I didn't I don't know, I think that I'm I'm kind of boring as as a as a, if I was just myself performing magic there was there was little interest in that. Um but when I kind of got into the idea that I could be a character, and I could almost hide behind, you know, this mask of, of uh, uh, something, of all these things that I love very much, silent films, and um, avant-garde music, and all these kind of, like, elements that were, weren't, they weren't tied to magic that I liked. I realized that I could apply those things to a character, and, and which would give him, as a result, a, a point of view and a perspective. I had the thing that nobody else kind of had. Mm-hmm. And that's when people started, turning, you know, craning their necks going, "Hey, what's this guy doing?" But yeah, it is just, uh, it is just, um, you know, out of, he is just doing out of this world. But it's under the guise of this whole thing, and it's he's taking us into a world that didn't exist. You know, the trick is, you know, he's doing a haunted pack, for example. But right. the, he's doing it with this, th- through this, you know, this this lens or this, you know, filter that that was kind of you know, unseen to magic. And that's when, you know, um, I started getting recognized uh, in the Magic Castle community. That's really where I came up um, in the basement of of the Magic Castle. And Mm -hmm. what a, you know, totally uh, encouraging and inviting uh, group of people I I stumbled across during those years. It's just the best um, possible people I could have ever met that helped kind of you know, redefine my whole life. Right. You know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it was great. It was incredible. It was like, sure, my my childhood dream of you know wanting to be a musician and being in a band was dead, and I I it was heartbreaking. But I moved on from that. But I had this wonderful thing that was just going like here this way. You know, like there was just no other way to there was no other road to go on. It was such a clear. A, a path for me to take
0: mm-hmm. so you kind of just dove headfirst into magic really
1: yeah i did i mean and it didn't it didn't come without you know it's it's growing pains and people you know certainly the music community was like what are you doing magic right. so <laughs> what are you, that's the dumbest thing you, you know and again the, the reference point for as a musician in that time frame was like you know you had these fantasy type performers you had, you had David Copperfield and Siegfried and Roy and Doug Henning were like the you know the, the, the prototypes for like what people thought of about magic they didn't right. they didn't necessarily know what it could be or what it you know had been um and it's always fascinating because anytime someone does dive in they go oh man magic is just as interesting as uh, you know, the history of of architecture or sculpture or dance or music or any 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 other Thing that could be considered, you know, or, or any of the performing art is what I should say, architecture. Right.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, when I got into magic, I was surprised I knew Penn and Teller, and then now there's so many different types. You have anywhere from Matt King to Derek Delgadio who are just two completely different people. Exactly. Yes, I mean Matt. Yeah, there's they're two completely different people,
1: and and approach the art totally different but you walk out of each of their shows and you you feel you know to me as satisfied as if you just played like the greatest your favorite Beatles record or you've just seen your favorite movie or you know dance to your favorite song or you know mm-hmm. do a book of you know Hirschfield artwork or or whatever you know it's like that is that that's what's happening yeah I mean yeah you said it, you said it right like this the variety now that the range of of performers that are working is it's a lot more colorful, I think now than it was, you know, when I was kind of getting into it. And it's been it's been amazing to be a part of Magic while while this has been happening, while you know the world is kind of going, you know, seeing Derek show New York and tripping out on it, going,
0: "Wait a second, Magic's <laughs> not
1: supposed to be like this."
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I think even what um, Penn and Teller are doing with Fool Us is helping, just like the the layperson, um, if I can use that term, to recognize that magic is an art and full of different styles and different genres, even.
1: And- exactly. I think that I think they they're you know they're obviously very smart guys and knew that going in, mm-hmm. and even the way that show is formatted, where you see the clip, you know, on, on the top of, of who the performer is and, you know, their, their background or their interest in, in you know, other things uh, outside of magic, it lets you kind of, it humanizes the people or, you know, paints these nice caricatures of them or, or whatever you know it's intended to do. But it does give you like that, that quick profile of like, oh, these are like, this is like a performing art thing and you can see it, it's, it's clearly defined uh, for for lay people, I think in, in that fashion.
0: Mm-hmm. And what was it like for you going on fool us? Oh, it was wonderful. Uh, I mean, you know,
1: on one hand, you're 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 in Las Vegas for a week, locked mm-hmm. up in your hotel room. <laughs> just, I think I I mean I must have ran my routine that I had already done uh, hundreds, maybe over a thousand, maybe twelve hundred times. Mm-hmm. I would say. Prior to going on, but I, I remember just holding up in that room and just rehearsing the whole routine to one wall. Mm-hmm. And then I would turn all the props and then in my mind, turn the audience to the next wall, you know, mm-hmm. and then the next wall. I and mean, then I would just, it would spin around circles uh, doing the routine over and over and over and over until when I got on the show, it was almost like I was so, I, it was so well rehearsed I was able to appreciate. Um, nuances that people that were sitting in the crowd were actually going, oh yeah, I'm on this TV show, and oh yeah, there's Penn and Teller, right? There, those, that, those are the guys, you know? Like It wasn't like, <laughs> oh man, I'm on TV. Oh God, what's yeah. that thing pointing at me? A camera? You know, <laughs> it, it's like all that stuff was, you know, I rehearsed with that stuff in mind whenever I have a, a, even a TV or film experience, I really try to put myself in the moment before I'm in the moment. Um, so... I can it, it to de, freak out, <laughs> uh, you know, my, you know, what, what can be like a, a, um, pretty stressful or anxious moment or, you know, the nerves can kick in You're like, Oh my God, what am I doing? I'm not, I just want to like knock over my props and run, uh, which <laughs> I do still feel like doing half the time, but mm-hmm. you know, at least when I think about it and I pre- like prepare myself in that way, uh, I'm, I'm good. And so it was a wonderful experience. And I, I was, I was totally, um, uh, thrilled with the stuff that they, you know, react how they reacted to my material. And of course I didn't uh, fool them, but it was just a, it was a really positive experience and, and, um, brought me, it, it's also, it brought me other work. Um, somebody about a year ago wrote me and said, Hey, I saw you on am us. And, um, I see you're also an actor and it, uh, we look at the Fool Us, uh, real, uh, your clip as a, as your audition tape. And if you would like this role, you have it.
0: Oh, that's and awesome. And
1: it was completely awesome. I mean, it was like great. And it was a, it was a really nice, uh, role. And it was like, I mean, if they hadn't seen that, who knows? They could have got some
0: other jerk to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just have to ask because I, I, don't remember what year it was, but I remember when the music video for Happy came out and I saw you and I'm like, is that Brecky? <laughs> how, how did that come about?
1: <laughs> um, well, you're right. That was Brecky yep. for a few minutes. <laughs> uh, it came about in the strangest way. Um, I had a friend who was producing the video and he called me and he said, hey, uh, I'm I'm shooting this thing and it, it has a lot of cameos by a lot of people and some are famous and some are just people that we are just kind of random people that are going to look good dancing <laughs> to this song over and over and over and it's going to the video's going to go on for 24 hours so it's going to start in one part of LA and end in the other and when one guy does it finishes the the song the next person's going to pick up right where he left off and do the exact do his improvisational dance to the song mhm well, that all sounded amazing because it's 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 in line with some of the avant-garde stuff that I'm into, and it, it seemed like a really out there, trippy idea. And I was mm-hmm. and I was like, well, I, but I don't know what this. I I didn't know who Pharrell was, uh, and I certainly didn't didn't know the song because it wasn't out yet. And then he said, well, and there's five hundred dollars, and then it's on a Saturday, and it'll take you an hour, and suddenly that sounded like a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, what am I doing? I'm sitting at home, I throw on my suit and drive you know, drive twenty minutes and mm-hmm. uh, they point the camera at me and, and I and uh, they, they did send me the song the night before. So I got to listen to it in my car a few times and I was like, Well, all right, I'll see <laughs> Like, there's no, and I'm thinking like Frankly, like there's nothing at stake here. No one's gonna see this thing. It's some stupid you know, it's a it's a cool art project, but like who's gonna see it? Like I there's there's no way that anyone's gonna ever, you know, know me for this. So whatever I do is fine. Like I really give it very little thought. <laughs> and uh and so they they said, you know, and we went down at the Union Station. They gave they they gave me a really nice um background that it for for it's very cinematic where they where they set me up um to, to do my little you know do my portion of it and so that was really nice because I, I felt like it looked pretty good um yeah. but was surprised like everybody when the song became you know hit and the the idea of that video became quite a um almost phenomenon you know globally because people were making videos of you know from the song and it was kind of uplifting at a time when I guess the world probably needed it. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was getting crazy. It's like kind of exploded and people were recognizing me from, you know, from the video and wanting me to dance and do stupid things like that and (laughs) and do interviews for it. And I I turned them all down. I thought
0: it's like, there's nothing, I really have nothing to contribute. Um, Mm -hmm. I just, it was like,
1: you know what I mean? It was like, it was kind of a gig.
0: Yeah, you just went there and danced for a minute. (laughs) Yeah, well, for three and a half or whatever, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so with acting and magic and doing everything outside of magic that you do, what are some influences outside of magic that you think may have influenced your performance style?
1: Um, Boy,
0: that's a good question. Um, I mean, there's so many things
1: you know, on on the hour that that will influence me to to do one thing or the other. You know,
0: right. Um
1: But I would say that you know, art is the focal point of my life. And I'm always, you know, um, I'm always listening to music and trying to find music that inspires me. That's you know, contemplative or or takes me, takes me somewhere that you know, going uh, to go into the bank or you know having to get dressed or, or eat or anything like that. Anything that inspires portals into other places is always, like, the deal for me, you know? Um, you know, I love walking around and just discovering things on foot and checking out, you know, art shows, music, uh, just, you know, company of my friends, the Magic Castle is such a big part of my life, you know, the history of magic, the history of History of art, I guess, is all this kind of you know you right. know go back into, and you know you, it's all patterns. Everything is you know one thing's inspired by the next, and it just it's all you know it's all kind of fascinating to me. Mm-hmm.
0: And you just mentioned the magic castle, and even before you said you kind of grew grew up as a magician there. You came in, and as Rob Zabrecki, the stammering (laughs) magician and then you came out as as a this act that you have now somebody um wrote to me when i told them i was doing a podcast with you and they they told me to ask you about a 3d ghost photo or something of you in the magic castle lobby does that mean anything to you oh
1: yeah um for oh yeah for for a few years um have you been to magic castle yourself
0: i have been twice you haven't. So mm-hmm. you
1: you walk. You know. So you you enter the main lobby and you say a password and yep. you're you're admitted into the club uh, in a very you know unorthodox and interesting way. Mm-hmm. And then and then to your right, right when you walk as you as you're entering um, what's known as the grand salon or, or the main bar of the, mm-hmm. of the club, mm-hmm. there's a there's a um, there's a uh, an arm a, a statue of armor. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and Is that in and the it's the room with the piano. Or,
1: or it, it's before Irma, so you walk in okay. and there's this full mm-hmm. yeah, there's this there's this full armor, you know, uh, full full body suit of armor. Yes. Um. And and in the face uh, of that, um, of the of the armor, uh, for for a few years, had my face projected on there, sort of giving this like <laughs> Vietnam million mile stare mm-hmm. uh, to guess as they were coming in. So I was like the official greeter in armor uh, that's awesome the castle <laughs> yeah it was wonderful uh to walk in and constantly see uh you know my face of people be like hey we saw you coming in <laughs> mm-hmm. uh really cool and and then like many of the um uh bells and whistles of magic castle things come and go and mm. I, I think the projector died. <laughs> 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 they just probably, it's probably sitting in an office <laughs> going, mm-hmm. ah, should we fix this thing? Ah, forget it. Let's go work on the, you know, the moving eyeballs on the painting or the, mm-hmm. the other thing. You know, there's always like, it's such a cool place in that way that there's, uh, I was happy that it lasted for as long as it did, um, knowing that sometimes the gags of you know, the club come and go and they, you know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Oh, I love the Magic Castle. I'm excited. I'm going there later this month as well. It's a good oh, place. great! Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I was there last night. Um, oh, cool! To listen to a, a talk by uh, Mike Caveney, who talked, to, who, who, for a couple of hours, told us about um, the posters of the Magic Castle.
0: Oh wow! That's that's like I bet you could talk about that for hours. Well, Mike did. He talked about it for <coughs> two hours, and he
1: started at one end of the club and went mm-hmm. to the other, and and uh, you know there's just incredibly he, he's he's an incredible historian of course and and but also a gifted performer so his talks are are not only totally informative but they're really entertaining and he makes you laugh and and gives you great anecdotes along the way and you know he uh he's just he's one of my heroes in in magic and life mm-hmm. um so to, to be there to listen to him was, was just a real thrill and um and a, and a lesson you know sort of, sort of like you know the history of uh, lithography and magic and, you know, taught you went through the process of describing how they painstakingly made these stone lithographs during the golden age of magic and, and, and you know, how that process worked. And it just gives you such a greater appreciation for the stuff that you're looking at. And, you know, when you're looking at a, you know, original Keller one sheet, why it's so rich in colors and why it's so on, on so many levels better than, uh, you know, Uh, say, a later reprint or, um, you know, so many other kinds of posters.
0: Mm -hmm. Really cool. Yeah. And then, again, about the Magic Castle um, and you performing there, what... (laughs) Sorry, sometimes words are hard for me. (laughs) Um, Me too, Braden. Yeah. (laughs) What's the, um, the theater, the stage that you perform on the most? Because for those that are listening that don't know, each... Basically, each room or each performance area of the Magic Castle is dedicated to something different. There's a close-up room, a parlor. There's the Peller Theater where magicians collaborate. And I know I'm missing some, but th- that's pretty much the idea, right?
1: Yeah, that's pretty much the idea. Um, yeah, and then there's the Houdini seance room mm-hmm. where um, for an additional you know fee, you can... Uh, round up some friends and, and ha- dine in a, in a very small chamber. And then uh, a, a spirit medium comes in and performs a Victorian style seance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do those as well. So besides, you know, the stage show, the, the palace mystery, the parlor, which is the sort of 50, 55 seat theater. And then the up room, which is the more intimate room, mm-hmm. um, the seance room is the other is kind of the fourth uh, and then the oh, you also mentioned the peller, yeah. So those are the main, those are the rooms, and I and I work in all of them um, on a pretty pretty regular basis. I'd say I'm pretty lucky to um, be able to you know work in all the rooms because they're all so much fun, and each one has a different tone and vibe, and requires a different mind frame, you know, when you're putting together your set list, and and a whole different kind of. I'm a skill set i would say mm-hmm. um and uh yeah i, I would hmm, boy the parlor play is my favorite i think because that was the first room that i performed in and i i worked really hard to create an act for that room gotcha uh, you know i had that in mind like the, the the size of it and the way that the the, the seating was raked and the way that the lights was hitting me and and what material was going to work and so on and so forth. And I, I didn't do that for the other rooms because I, I, at that point I had fallen into, um, performing those those kinds of, you know, close up magic and stage magic was I, I was, I was doing those at nightclubs and already kind of had a good sense of that. But for the parlor, it was like a very specific thing. And, um, I'm glad that I, I spent so much time kind of defining what that was because when I finally got in there, it, it liked the kind of teller um, show fool us I, I got to be on it was it was like i was rehearsed enough towards like yeah i can do this i'm not i'm not gonna like it. i'm not you know mm-hmm. not, i won't be terrible mm-hmm. you know
0: <laughs> and like, that was the goal right just not be terrible yeah yeah that's the goal <laughs> um and i just i have to ask because i i can't picture it um how is the how is the zabrecki character translate from stage to the close-up room where you're like sitting down at a card table
1: well that's a good question and and uh, i'll tell you that um on stage when you're when you're above people on a platform and there's lights in your eyes you can get pretty theatrical and be pretty if, if your goal is to be weird or eccentric you can do, that's great and that's all fine and good mm-hmm. but the second someone's sitting right next to you and up close and people are, you know, within within reach from where, where you're sitting or performing, you can't, it's difficult to be, you have to, your weird has to adjust. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I, I don't know, I'm always conscious of people that have, uh, you know, people in their lives that have mental illness or, or they are uncomfortable around somebody that's gonna be too weird. It's like, they're trying to maybe get away from that when they're going to the Magic Castle right. and then all of a sudden they're sitting by some freak who's like staring yeah. at him too long. So you gotta, like, I adjust it, you know, and I ta- and I try to, I try to ingratiate the audience in a different kind of way, um, and I, I mean, to be honest, I just try to, I try to charm, put a little bit of charm on to the, to the weirdness, and that way they feel like they're almost in, like, you know, Pee-wee's Playhouse or something, as opposed to, you know, some horror movie that they're not going to really get out of. Mm-hmm. That makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, that, that makes complete sense. You just, you just kind of adjust it and downplay the weirdness
1: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and and turn you know yeah and and I think you know you got to make people feel at ease in any in anything that you do um but establishing that in the close-up thing is like the first thing I try to do is try to I, I try to illustrate that I'm competent as a close-up performer by doing you know something that's amazing and then you know once that's established and you can, you can dip into character stuff, but it's not like as if you're on stage and you can just, you know, go really far out on the Mm limb.
0: Yeah. Somebody else wrote in what, what was it like performing for Michael Jackson?
1: Um, Performing for Michael Jackson was a huge thrill. Uh, A, because I wasn't expecting it. Um, It came up totally out of the blue the Saturday afternoon. And, uh, had a pretty busy day and my friend who's a producer called me and said hey I got this private party what do you say come down do a few things it's pretty good pay whatever um, in uh, Beverly Hills and none of it sounded right you know it's like I just wasn't feeling it it was a Saturday like yeah I don't know I'm not sure I think this, I'm the right guy for this one mm-hmm. and then he told me that you know, it was for Michael Jackson, and I was just like, "Well, <laughs> give me those directions."
0: Yeah, well,
1: I have to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not. It's, I don't. I don't need you. I have to do it. It was. It was. Mm-hmm. A, it was like, you know, the, the sky opened up and the gods were saying, "You must do this." Yeah. So <laughs> jumped in the car, and I, of course, I, I brought my wife with me because she, like me, has been has been fascinated by Michael Jackson since the '80s, his transformation as, as a. His reinvention and reinvention over time as as a creative you know person and just the strange choices he made. We're just like I get to see this guy in person. Hell yeah! Mm-hmm. Um, so we get there and um, there's a bunch of people outside and we oh, thought it's going to be a pretty big party and quickly realize that the people that are outside the thirty or so you know people outside of his house are just fans trying to get in the place.
0: Wow. Uh,
1: that knew that he was home that day, so they're just stalkers taking pictures of his gate. That's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, it was really like next level, kind of nuts from what I'd ever you know seen or experienced. Um, and the next thing I know is they they confiscated my cell phone and told me that my wife couldn't come in because it was the, their security is just so strict around him. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now she's has to sit in the car while I go in and do this you know this thing and. And of course that's, you know, I'm like, well, that's the deal. I gotta, you know, I'm gonna do it. So I went in and, um, the next thing I know, the, my friend who's producing the show kind of coordinated, you know, there's a juggler and, uh, and like maybe a fire eater. I can't remember mm-hmm. the, the lineup, but it was like, the I was a hula hoop artist. That's what my friend, Matt Plundell was there doing mm-hmm. hula hoops. Um, and so, and myself. And, and so we get the order of the show and, um, then I see him, and it's like the party consists of Michael Jackson and his kid, Blanket, and his kid Paris, and his son, Michael Jr. I think there's only there's four of them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they're sitting down by this pool, and um, I'm like okay, you know you're on, you gotta you gotta go down now and entertain them. So I walk down this long grass backyard lawn and it leads down to this pool area and the pool is like slightly dilapidated and and had seen better days could certainly use the cleaning and tiles were a little and uh and uh there's this ship that's floating in the water and it's banging against the tiles and it, it was so kind of symbolic for the michael jackson Peter Pan analogy of the kid who didn't want to grow up, but like mm-hmm. the whole thing was kind of crumbling in a way, you know, like it just felt like there's something really dusty and sunset full about the, the, the setting, you know, Yeah. like, Oh no, this, this is really kind of weird and not in a great way. But then I go over there and, and there's Michael and, and the kids and, uh, and they were a wonderful audience and they were, you know, in awe of I was doing and very appreciative and laughed and were just great. And halfway through the performance, these helicopters hover overhead. And everyone knows what to do except me. They all have like these these scarves and pashminas and things and, and like uh, textiles that they put over their heads to cover themselves. And what they're doing is they're not hiding from the paparazzi, the helicopters. Somebody had figured out that they were outside. And when they wow. go out, even in their backyard, that that the paparazzi comes and takes overhead pictures and like zooms in on their, whatever sandwich they're eating, or you know, they're just totally invades their privacy.
0: Yeah, that's that's too much.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean you can imagine this guy who's like trying to go to McDonald's or or whatever his a normal day in Michael Jackson's life would be pretty ridiculous. I think. Yeah, and that was just a snapshot into what you know that uh, was like. So. Um, what can I say, you know, for that moment, I, 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 as much as I'd wondered about Michael Jackson and what he had been doing on his off moments, here was a moment where I was, I knew exactly what he was doing. He was watching me do my shrinking card dance and jump around, like, a w- trying to, like, show him a dance that he had never seen. Um, and, uh, and he was giggling the whole time, and I think he. You know, appreciated, I think, at least what, you know, what I did. It was, it was a really fun moment. Pretty memorable one.
0: Oh, that definitely sounds memorable. Like, how do you forget that? Yeah. Well, thank you again, Zabrecki, for coming on the podcast. And before we leave, I, I just have one question that I ask to everybody. And I know we talked about this. So if you don't have an answer, that's okay. But I'm still going to go ahead and ask it. <laughs> Um, So what's an opinion that you have about magic that you think other magicians would disagree with? Or another way to ask it is just what's a unique, what do you think is a unique view that you hold about magic? Thank you so much. Um, Is there anywhere on the internet that people can find you if they want to see more of Zabrecki? No. (laughs) Just kidding.
1: Uh, Yeah. I, no. <laughs> and is, is this yeah, no, I've i I've, I've raced myself in the whole Ew. thing. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I could for sure. But um I <laughs> I love Instagram is my my preferred um my preferred method of, of social media because uh just purely for the visual aspects of you know, um putting up images that I love to look at and share and, you know. Uh, You know, have people know me by and just things I pick up along the way that I want to share. So that is the one I would recommend looking at.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, you got
1: it. Thanks so much, Braden.